Well, let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to dive into the final part of our series, Wrecked by Love. But Father, thank you again for your goodness and, and all that's taken place here this morning thus far. And now as we open up your word and, and look to you and look to the written word of God, may you bless our hearts here this morning, speak to us in a profound way, and that you would go before us, leading in every aspect. Bless the people here. God, thank you that we can hear your voice and that you want to speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. So yesterday, uh, we had our very first men's breakfast of the year, and it was a great time, always good food. And we were blessed, uh, Brother Nathan got to share and give us an inside look on Bible interpretation and a ministry that they do. And I could have put two and two together, but I didn't in that there is Bible interpretation for the deaf community and Bible interpretation with sign language. And I thought, hmm, you know, I've always known that there was various ways of translation. As a former youth pastor, one of my students, very young, she was completely blind. And she would ask me before youth group, what book of the Bible are you going to teach from so I can bring my Bible? And so I'd tell her, oh, I'm teaching from Matthew. And she would bring the book of Matthew in Braille about this thick, you know, and she could only bring one book at a time. And she would open up and she would follow along as I taught the scriptures so she could read them. So I knew that was out there, but me being partially deaf as well, I've had extensive surgery and implants put in my, my left ear, and, and I struggle with hearing there. But to see that there is a ministry that focuses on the deaf community that hasn't had the blessing of proper education to be able to read the Word of God for themselves— so he gave this fantastic uh, just testimony uh, yesterday at our men's breakfast. But one thing he did that was so cool is he actually showed uh, Mexican sign language and a portion of scripture that he was teaching on from it. So we got to see this whole story of Mark chapter 7 being played out. And I found out what devil is in sign language, right? We, we learned the signs. It was really cool. And the thing that blessed me, I'm telling you, it was not only fascinating, but it blessed the socks off of me. He says, I struggled with this portion of scripture before, but when I saw it in sign language, I saw it in a completely different perspective and a different revelation. The reason being that if you're familiar with sign language, you have to be very expressive with what you say. If you're angry, you have to show it in your face. If you're joyful, you have to show it in your face. So he got to see the Bible in a different light. I got to see the Bible in a different light. I said, I never saw it that way either. And it blessed me. And I said, wow, even the power of the expression of the word of God can bring in insights and perspective and clarity that we may not have gotten on another end. And so that, and then I immediately told him afterwards, I'm like, that was amazing. Can I steal that for tomorrow morning? Because tomorrow morning, I'm talking about expressing the father. In the last five weeks, we've talked about many things. We've talked about embracing our identity. We've talked about encountering the Father, exiting our past, entering community. And we're finishing today with expressing the Father. You and I have a responsibility on earth, not just to receive God's blessing and get saved and survive until he comes back. You and I have the the obligation and the blessing to be his ambassador, his witness on earth as it is in heaven. We get to represent Jesus. We get to represent the Father while we are alive in our actions, our expressions, our love, our service, our obedience to his will allows other people to experience God through us. It still amazes me that God knows how crazy of failures we can be and the mistakes that we can make in life, and he still wants to use us. 
And God's always been in the business of using people to carry out his will, whether that was the Garden of Eden or the law of Moses or even Jesus, the Son of God himself, coming in the form of a man to carry out salvation. He's always in the business of using people. And we have this great obligation to encounter God for ourselves, but then to express his love and his power. It's actually one-third of the vision of Southgate Fellowship. The vision that God has placed here is that we can encounter the presence of God, equip the saints, and express his love and his power. I mean, I think that's the most biblical thing in the world. When you look at Ephesians chapter 4, that we as the church can experience him together in his presence. We're told to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And then our job is to take that fire, that joy, that power outside of the walls of the church and express his love and his power. And so I, I'm so grateful for the, uh, the privilege that we have to be called children of God, but also workers of Christ. So I want to share a story today of somebody who encountered the love of the Father through Jesus and the incredible lessons that we can learn from that. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of John, chapter 8. Book of John, chapter 8. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And as we read this story here this morning, I would encourage you to read it with the lens of how Jesus is fathering this woman. There's a famous story of the woman who was caught in adultery and later became a lady who would walk through the rest of Jesus' earthly ministry and beyond his resurrection. Beginning in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. That, that's the whole verse 1. I always find it fascinating when you're about to read a story in the Bible and then they have one obscure verse at the very beginning. On the third day, Jesus traveled to this city. Like, why do we need to know that? You know, sometimes there's for a reason. It gives uh, some background. And I love that it says the Mount of Olives because that was a powerful place. The Mount of Olives is where Jesus, he sweated blood and he cried out, if there's any other way, Father, that this cup could pass for me. It was the place that he was praying in the garden on the night of his betrayal. It was the actual location that Jesus ascended to heaven, and it's prophesied the location that Jesus is going to return. So it's a powerful place. In fact, uh, Jewish people often ask to be buried in or near the Mount of Olives, because if that's where Messiah is coming, then they want front row seats of the resurrection. And so they want to be buried as close to there. So I love how the narrative here is, is welcoming us like, Remember, this is a very holy and powerful place as we're about to read a very powerful story. In verse 2, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them. Now, Jesus and his teaching came with relationship, with love and with salvation. The scribes and Sadducees and Pharisees were legalistic. They cared about rules, not relationship. So bring Jesus is automatically bringing opposition to the spirit of the day, to the culture that is there. In verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? Now in Leviticus 20, it says, if you find a, a woman and a man in the very act with multiple witnesses, you can bring them out to the court and you can have them stoned to death, capital punishment. So they bring this lady out, but the problem is, where's the man? Where's the man? If they were caught in the act, that means he didn't get away unless he was really quick. <laughs> but where's the man? 
And so you can automatically see that even within the following of the law and of the rules, they are not using it to obey God's will. They're using it as a manipulation tool against Jesus, as we can see here in verse 6. They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground, the finger of God. Now, it's interesting to note that in this area where Jesus was, the ground wasn't grass. The ground was stone. Jerusalem stone in that time, it's gorgeous stone, but it was stone. Now, I know that there's dust and dirt, and Jesus was probably using the stand and all that to write, but where else, where else in the Bible do we see the finger of God writing on stone? The Ten Commandments. So here you have Jesus where they're bringing the law, and we know in the Scriptures, in Romans, it says that the law produces death, that the purpose of the law was to show that you're imperfect and in need of a Savior. And Jesus was the only one who could f- fulfill the law. So you have these, these basically blood-hungry Uh, Pharisees who want this woman killed only to make Jesus look bad. At the expense of killing somebody to make somebody look bad, Jesus doesn't even say anything. He just gets down and he starts writing. We don't know what he's writing. I would love to to know in heaven what they wrote, especially if it was like he's just secretly writing all these sins that these guys had, and he gave them eye contact for every time. He's like, oh, you think she's deserving of death? What about this that you did? What about this that she did and just stared at him right in the eyes. That's what I hope that he did. But we, we don't know what he wrote in the dirt, but he wrote something. And it says that he stooped down and wrote on the stone. So whereas the first time God wrote with his finger on stone, it was for the law. But John chapter 1 says that the, Moses brought the law, but Jesus made grace and truth realized. So he brought in a new covenant. And then in verse 7, But when they were persisting and asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is out sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And of course, they all had sin. The only one in that moment who did not have sin was Jesus himself. Jesus, in fact, was the only one worthy enough to actually condemn her. In verse 8, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Again, a whole verse just saying that Jesus bent down again. Why is that important? Well, it says he stooped down twice. There's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. There's a first Adam, there's a second Adam. When in the Bible they say your name two times, John, John, I say unto you, that's like, listen up, buddy, this is going to be important. So the fact that Jesus takes a second time to stoop down and write whatever he wrote on that ground is very significant. Verse 9, then when they heard it, I don't know if when they heard what was written on the stone or they heard Jesus saying, he who is without sin cast the first stone, But when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. I'm not sure why the older ones went out first before the younger one. Yeah, whatever whatever he wrote. It's probably more sin in their heart, more hypocrisy, more failures, and like, yeah, I better leave quickly. And they were in their old maturity able to realize, yeah, this is not a good situation. Jesus, checkmate. I'm moving on here. (laughs) So they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And then in verse 10, straightening up, Jesus said to her, and again, father to daughter, look at this, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. And I think it's so very vital to realize the sequence of the scripture. 
Jesus didn't say, hey, I just hooked you up. You're not going to die today. Okay, now stop sinning so that this doesn't happen again. Stop sinning and you won't get condemned. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't say stop sinning, then no condemnation. He said no condemnation, now stop sinning. You see, in, in Romans 8.1, it says, if anyone is in Christ, there's now therefore no condemnation. We have been completely removed of our sin, of our faults, of our failures. We've been given mercy and grace and a new identity. And it's from that position where we are seated with Christ in heavenly places that we are to go and have our being and to serve and to love and to express the Father. Jesus modeled it himself. In Matthew chapter 3, he was being baptized in the Jordan River. The heavens tore open. The audible, booming voice of the Father said, this is my son. In him, I am well pleased. Jesus didn't preach yet. He didn't teach in the synagogue. He didn't raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. He did nothing yet except be a son. And the father says, wow, look at my boy. Oh, I love him so much. I'm so pleased. Y'all need to listen to him, okay? It's going to be a very interesting next three years. And it was from that place that Jesus served and started his ministry. So Jesus never worked for the father's love. He always worked from the father's love. You and I, as, as ambassadors of Christ and as representations of God on earth, you and I need to do that exact same thing. Have our being with no condemnation and that everything we do is from the place of God's love, not to try to earn God's love. And everything that Jesus did was perfect theology. Everything he did was a representation of who the Father was. And everything Jesus did was an extension of the love of the Father from heaven. This, this love that they had not experienced really in the Old Testament. But Jesus being the, the very visible form of the invisible God, as it says in Colossians 1.15, went around demonstrating who the Father was and exactly what he is like. And so today I really want to focus on the power of expressing the Father. When children of God know that they are loved by God, they know God is pleased with them, they know there's no condemnation, you should have the freedom, the joy, and the motivation to say, yes, Father, whatever you like, let's go have fun together. Let's accomplish your will. But fathering is a very powerful thing in our society, in our nation, and even in the church. I remember being at one of the Wednesday morning pastors gathering that Pastor Gary leads up so faithfully for so many years. And there's a number of Pentecostal interdenominational pastors that just meet every Wednesday for study and prayer and, and fellowship. And there was one uh, pastor, he's always there early, and so am I. We're always there early. He's in his mid-40s or so, and uh, he remembers that his, his relationship with his father was very rocky. I mean, absent at times, there at some times, but they always collided until he became a pastor and, and their relationship was reconciled, praise the Lord. But there he is as a grown man preaching in church, and his dad is in, in the congregation. At the end of the service, the dad comes up to him and just grabs him by the shoulders and says, man, I'm so proud of you. And he tells me, he's, he's, he's sharing, and he goes, there I am, a grown man as a pastor crying like a little baby girl because my daddy said, I'm so proud of you. He's all, isn't that incredible? that I, I don't need that. I'm secure in who I am. I'm a pastor. I've, I've gone through life. I've gone through far worse. But when this one who was created to be my father says, I'm proud of you, something comes alive. I could be 85 years old and my dad could still say, I'm proud of you. And something will come alive in me. The impact of a father is so huge. Whether that's your, your earthly father, your heavenly father, the impact is so huge. I recently saw a TED Talk 
from a pastor who has a ministry on helping orphans and reconciliation between father and, and children, you know, specifically in uh, the prison systems and, and orphanages, helping to bring reconciliation. It's a phenomenal ministry. But he gave some staggering statistics on fatherlessness in our nation. He said that 81% of teenage pregnancies, they come from fatherless homes. That 71% of the incarcerated are inmates in correctional facilities come from fatherless homes. That 80% of our homeless come from fatherless homes. And one that was staggering, that 40% of children who grew up without fathers, 40% will end up being poorer financially and in life than their paternal father, simply because they are not there. And having a father present, the statistics go the complete opposite way of how much, how much more success and progress you'll have in life just by a father being there. So it's, it's obvious, it's completely obvious that there's a problem in our society, but there's also a problem in our church with fatherlessness. Because we're so quick to teach on the Holy Spirit, so quick to teach about Jesus be the center of it all. But when we talk about Father God, we want to reverence him and, and back away, and, and it's, it's so stoic and so serious. And maybe because of the wounds that our father wounds from the past, it's so hard for us to even comprehend what that relationship type would look like. I mean, do you really give purposeful thought when you pray as to who you're praying to? Holy Spirit, thank you for your comfort. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for giving me the wisdom I need. Thank you for your anointing as I walk out the spiritual gifts. Jesus Christ, I thank you for your mercy and your sacrifice. Thank you that by your Jesus stripes, I am healed. Father, thank you for your incredible, unconditional love. I mean, are we that aware, as even in our prayer, that in the Holy Trinity, we know as to which aspect of the Father, of Jesus, or the Son that we're praying to? We, we have this problem, even in the church, of a fatherlessness. And though we can't change the past with our earthly fathers as much as we would like to, there's everything we can do to completely transform the future, either with our surviving fathers or in being fathered by God and taking that place. There's so much we can do to transform the future. So in the same way that in Matthew 3, Jesus himself had to be affirmed in the Father. He had to know, I am a son of God. I know the Father loves me, and I know that he is well pleased with me. In the same way that Jesus needed to be affirmed by the Father in order to express the Father, you and I need to do the same thing. So in your notes, a little bit of challenge and encouragement. If you're taking notes, point number one, we need to be, it's obvious, loved by the Father. We need to be loved by the Father. As a Christian, I quickly began to work in the church as a young man. I think it was 16 years old is when I got my very first paycheck. I was 16 and one month old. I got my first paycheck from a large church. And at 19, I became a youth pastor, uh, even before I was married. And then at 26, I became a campus pastor. A local church imploded, and that congregation was given to us. They sent me and my wife over to pastor it, and it was made up of 20 people, all of them were 80 years old and above. There's this 26-year-old little Mexican boy, and I'm surrounded by 80-year-old white people in a, you know, this beautiful church. And, and I'm like, what am I going to say to these old dudes? I've been married a couple of years. I got a toddler. I don't have my Bible degree yet. What in the world am I going to? They've been studying the Bible three times as long as I've been alive. You know, what am I going to give to them? 
And I remember struggling with the insecurity and struggling with the doubt. And I just said, I'm going to be me and give them everything that the Lord has given to me. You know, because you can only give away what you have. You can only give away what you have. Can you imagine if you were an unbeliever and another unbeliever came to you and said, wow, you know what you need? You need to get saved. You need Jesus Christ. You need salvation. You need to go to church. And then you say, wait, wait, wait a minute. But you don't do all those things and you're not a believer. He's like, yeah, so? What's your point? Like, no, I'm not going to follow your lead and let you lead me into salvation. You don't even have salvation. What are you talking about? It'd be weird to try to have somebody lead you in something they haven't experienced. So in the same way, if we want to really give the love of God away, we first have to encounter it for ourselves. We have to work at being loved by the Father in order to help others be loved by, by the Father. It's through a testimony, through what he's done in our lives, that we can help other people do the same thing. How can we give God's love away if we're not growing in love, period? Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, when Jesus empowers his disciples to go raise the sick, heal the dead, and all that kind of stuff, he says, freely you have received because you've been with me. Now freely give. And I believe that that same thing continues on. I love in Jude chapter 1, verse 21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of the Father. Keep yourselves in the love of the Father. And that word in the Greek, there's two main words in the New Testament for the word keep. The first one is a guarding. Like you're guarding your home. If a robber tries to get in, you're going to protect your home. You're not going to allow somebody to steal from you. The second type of keep is like if you have three toddlers and you're trying to keep them in one room and they keep trying to escape, you're constantly like, you know, if you've ever had a, a litter of puppies and trying to keep them in that little kiddie pool that you designed to keep them there and they always want to get out. So I believe that the love of the father is two ways. On day one as a Christian, you are given everything in the spiritual realms. You are given all full love of God in your heart. So from day one, you have everything that a Christian of 70 years has. So firstly, you have it, keep it, you know, don't let it escape, but also keep it in the sense of not allowing other influences in your heart, not allowing the doubt and the lies and the confusion and distraction and all those things to rob an awareness of the Father's love. God's always talking, he's always speaking, he's always loving you, but many times we're on, we're on social media and watching TV and worried and stressing and all this other stuff rather than talking to him. So we have to keep ourselves in the love of God, keeping our hearts completely pure for him. And remember, purity doesn't just mean you're without sin and you're doing good things. Purity means one element. If you purify gold, you take everything that's not gold out of the way. So it's 100% gold. This is pure water. Hopefully, I don't know the ingredients. This is pure water, right? It's one element. So when we say that the pure in heart shall see God in Matthew 5, it's that the heart that is set on one thing. Psalm 27, the heart that just wants God above all else. It's one element. It's a pure heart that can see him. So the, the challenge is to keep the love of God in your hearts, but to grow in the infinite, unconditional love of the Father. It's going to take all of eternity to fully understand the love of God. But let's start today. The second thing is that we need to reveal the Father. We need to reveal the Father. If you were to take a survey of all of the scriptures that say the reason why Jesus came to earth, and we know there's a lot of them, Jesus came to earth to die and forgive our sins. He came to heal. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came for all these things. But if you were to take a survey of all those scriptures, 
the most talked about in those scriptures would be that Jesus came to reveal the Father. It's almost so intensive that it's like Jesus reveals the Father and salvation and healing and all those other things are just subpoints to bringing you to the Father. John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus made this importance in his life of revealing the Father, expressing the Father. And then in John 20, verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So he's given us the same charge and the same challenge of what I've done on earth, heal the sick, raise the dead, all those things, but revealing the Father, you are to do the same thing. I mean, not condemning that woman, it was a father-daughter interaction. Jesus wasn't saying, look, I'm going to take care of this whole law thing. No, he said, look, it's a new era. It's a new covenant of father to daughter, one of grace, no longer of condemnation. No, we need to reveal love absolutely in every way that we can. And that may mean in a bunch of different ways that we can reveal love. I remember being away in Costa Rica on a missions trip for two weeks I love my house. I love being at home. I love my family. There's nothing wrong with them. I like the people in my city. I like my TV. I like everything here. I'm very content of a human being. I don't need to go on excursions or vacations. I don't like amusement parks fully. All those things. I'm very happy at home. So even on a mission trip, doing God's uh, work, I still long for home. I like my food at home. I like my bed at home. I definitely like the temperature a whole lot better at home than in Costa Rica in the summer. You know, there's a lot of things, but I start missing my family. And I remember when I came back, um, Nikki had uh, messaged me while I was gone. She says, hey, your Bible degree actually came in the mail. And now we can frame it and all that kind of stuff. I said, oh, that's awesome. But she went above and beyond. When I got home, not only did she have in and out waiting for me, and let me tell you, after um, two weeks of beans and rice and Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, in and out was a delight. And so she had in and out She had my degree and my pastoral license framed. She had all my favorite snacks and treats. She had gifts for me all laid out on the table. I'm telling you, if there was one time I can remember fully feeling loved, it was at that time. Because she took time to know what I wanted. She, she knew what would just make me feel so welcome and just so like, oh, refreshed from coming home after doing God's work. So there's so many ways that we can give God's love away. And we have to focus on how can I love other people? You know, God loves me and I need to understand it, but I need to also purpose myself to give that same love away to others. Uh, this is not in your notes and you don't have to turn there, but let me read to you real quickly. First uh, John uh, chapter 4, verses 7 and 9. And I love the title. The title in the New American Standard says, God is love. There's so many definitions of love, but the best and the top is God. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By, the, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. God has given us the blessing of being able to love other people. And you have no idea what part in salvation story of another person you play. You've heard it said that sometimes our job is to plant the seed of the gospel. Other times it's to water it. And other times it's to harvest it and lead somebody to salvation. But in every aspect of their journey of salvation for the unsaved or the ones who are hurting, your manifestation of God's love to them is critical and vital in that journey. 
we get to play a part in partnering with God to bring salvation into this world. Then finally, point number three, we need to take on, this is a big one, take on the role of the father. Take on the role of a father. I'm speaking to women and men here because God is father, but he also has mothering qualities. So you as a mom, you as a lady, you have things that guys can't do. You have things that God put in you that only you can do as a mom, but all of us can father in a sense. You know, there's fathering aspects. And for us guys, there's a whole lot just being guys in the way God designed us to be fathers. It's powerful. I remember when my son was born, um, I took a picture where uh, my dad was holding me as a baby and looked a certain way. Then I, I picked up my son and I wanted to take that same picture so I could put it side by side and give it to him as a Father's Day gift. And so I remember I wanted to take this picture, but because before my son, I never held a baby. I never changed a diaper. I was scared to death. It took me three days to hold my own child to take that picture. Three full days. I was that afraid that his head was going to fall off or something. You know, what's going to go wrong? I was so afraid to hold him. I was going to drop him. How do you hold him? He's squirming. He's weird. If he cries, what do I do? I had no idea what to do, but it was so funny. Within 12 days, I'm eating a cheeseburger, changing a diaper with one hand. You know, got the hang of it. No problem, right? No problem at all. But I had to learn. I had to learn. I was 22 years old and terrified, right? But I didn't have the choice of being a father, really. You know, that was a blessing that God sprung on us. You know, but we have the choice to put on a representation of the father and to father those around us. Uh, the scriptures don't necessarily say spiritual father, but there's many places, even where like the apostle Paul calls Timothy, my true son in the faith. And when, when people talk about my church is an older church or a younger church, I really don't care about that. I care about our one generation mentoring another generation. It's one generation fathering and mothering the younger generation. It's the younger generation being raised up with this healthy parenting that is happening within the spirit. And you and I have the opportunity to represent the father and father other people. So if we're going to express his love, there is the proclamation, which is his word, spreading the gospel. We have demonstration, which I really love. That's the power of God. You lay hands on the sick and they're not a Christian and they get healed. Whoa, that'll wake them up to the Father. And then interconnection with people reveals the Father. You loving on somebody else reveals the heart of the Father. You serving somebody else, bringing them a gift, serving them a meal reveals the heart of the Father. We have the opportunity. And I want to encourage you as I conclude here this morning, I want to encourage you to be you. Be comfortable in your own skin. I remember a coworker of mine, a, a pastor, um, one of the first times I spoke as a 23, 24-year-old man in front of the Sunday church for the first time, uh, he said, hey, um, just keep your sleeves rolled down. Don't show your tattoos and be careful about your slang. Remember, this is an older congregation, so just clean up your, your language a little bit. And it kind of, you know, stung for a second, but I went up and I, I did what I did, but I wasn't as free at the pulpit as I was before. And then the second time, uh, another pastor was on staff. He had a counseling ministry. And before I got on stage, he grabbed me. He's like 76-year-old. He's like, hey. I say, what's up? <laughs> he goes, be Rudy. Be Rudy. Be your tattoos. Be your slang. Be. And I don't know if they even had that conversation. I never told a soul. But he said, be you. And I felt, because he, he worked in counseling, uh, that really ministered to transforming hearts. And I felt a love of the Father in that moment. I said, you're right. 
I rolled my sleeves up a little bit, and I got on stage, and, and I was able to be me, and I continued to be me on stage. But I encourage you, be yourself. You have no idea what can happen when you let go of pretenses and condemnation and doubts and worries and say, God, you made me exactly as I am. I am your child. You have pleasure upon my life before I could even lift a finger. And you have said, I want to partner with you to express my love and power to those who desperately need. Will you say yes? Will you say yes? So, Father, we thank you so much for just the last five weeks of exploring what typically is very elementary topics in the faith. But, God, how much do we need to realize the depth of your love the incredible title we have as son or daughter of God, the mission that you have placed not only in this church but on our hearts individually to carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, God, that you trust us because you have deposited the Holy Spirit in our hearts to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us so that while we spend the years on this earth, we can do so in your joy, in your love, and joyfully fulfilling your will. So I thank you for my friends here and and what we've discussed and learned. I pray for those who may be hurting in different areas of their hearts from some of the topics we've discussed. I pray you bring comfort and revelation, transformation to those heart wounds or or those father wounds. And Father, I, I thank you for those who have gotten excited over the last couple weeks, but there may be fear or doubt. And so in the name of Jesus, I thank you for hearts and minds that are pure, one element, free from the influence of the enemy and spirits that would come alive. Awaken souls in this room here today, God. It doesn't have to be traveling overseas. It doesn't have to be starting a ministry. Somebody's whole world can be next door that needs to get transformed simply by a smile. But however you want to use us, God, give us the motivation, give us the joy, give us the strength to carry out exactly what you would want in our lives. Most importantly, we thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you that you're not judge and ruler and all these other things, but you are Father. So we love you and we thank you for the privilege of being called your own. And as we go out into a brand new week that you have blessed us with, fill it with your presence, fill it with your joy, and give us an unction in our hearts to go after your will. We declare and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you all. God bless you and have a wonderful week.